You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, John Tyler was the 10th president of the United States, and while he isn't a particularly popular president in U.S. history, we're going to talk about him today because how could a man born in the year 1790 possibly still have a grandchild alive today? It's something a lot of us dream about, whether we plan to actually try it or not, scaling the famous peak of Mount Everest. So why do some climbers reach the top but turn around before they actually get to the summit? In the mid-1990s, a toy called the Furby took the world by storm, and while you may think it's just a relic of the past, think again. And were Furbies really banned from the Pentagon? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, to kick off this segment, I'm just going to read you a headline that I read the other day. We have not talked about this beforehand because I just want to get your natural reaction and opinion to that headline. Does that sound all right? Yep. Yep. I'm ready. All right. The headline reads... Al Pacino stunned by baby news at 83. Quote, he requested a paternity test. What's, uh, what's your reaction to Al Pacino becoming a father at age 83? So I knew this. I knew it. And uh, I'll just say my first reaction was, was simple. Ugh. <laughs> so think about, you know, we're dads in our 30s. And think about when his child is like eight or nine playing youth <laughs> soccer. And they wheel him out if he's even still alive. It's it's wild. It's a wild headline. Um, and uh, I, I think what's more interesting about it than anything to me are just people's reactions to it. People have very strong opinions about Al Pacino becoming a dad at age 83. Dave, we are going to talk about President John Tyler today. And I think... Uh, out of the 46 U.S. presidents that have existed, um, just off the top of your head, how, how many think you could name? You think you'd probably get about half of them or so, or maybe a little bit more than half? I'd like to think I could get half. Yeah. I know I, Grover Cleveland's in there twice. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, you know, you could say Roosevelt and get a couple, Bush and get a couple, uh-huh, you yeah. know, Adams and get a couple, but... I, I think John Tyler's probably one that would have slipped through the cracks, you know, if you if you tried to name all the U.S. presidents. Let me guess what number president he was. Well, I told you in the intro, so you should still remember. Oh, well, I wasn't listening. Uh, <laughs> 30. <laughs> no, no, 10. <laughs> so John Tyler, um, he's, and that's, it's for a reason, like he's not on Mount Rushmore, right? Because he's mostly kind of considered to be in like the bottom half of like effective presidents. The 10th president of the United States, John Tyler, who was born in 1790, Dave, he was actually alive during the Washington presidency. And uh, like we said, the reason that you haven't heard much about him is probably because he wasn't really a particularly popular president when he was president, and he didn't really accomplish much that we can celebrate in the modern day. Tyler was an enslaver. He was thrown out of his own political party, the Whigs. Now, he was the first president to assume the White House upon the death of a sitting president. He is the first president to have a veto overridden and the first president to endure an impeachment vote, which ultimately failed. 
He was also the only president to be buried in a casket covered by the flag of another country, the Confederate States of America. So you can see none of this adds up to like, let's make a statue of him, right? Now, Tyler was also the first president to be widowed, Dave, and subsequently remarry while in office and father the most children of any president at 15. Now, Dave, all of this is not why I'm doing this segment, though. Tyler's second wife was actually much younger than him, and so Tyler kept fathering children throughout his 60s. Now, Dave, one of those children was Lion Gardner Tyler Sr., born in 1853, and Lion followed a similar life trajectory as his father. He was widowed and married a much younger woman, conceiving Harrison Ruffin Tyler when Lion was 75 and his wife was 39 in the year 1928. So, Dave, today, Harrison Tyler is 94 years old, which means that John Tyler, the 10th president of the United States, actually has a living grandson today. Not great-grandson, not great-great-grandson, grandson. To put this another way, Dave, there is a man alive today who could look at you and say, yeah, my dad was 10 years old when the war started and actually be talking about the Civil War. Now, to me, Dave, and the reason I wanted to tell you this is because it sort of shuffles how we think about time and how far away things are, right? To me, it challenges the idea that the past is really that far away. We tend to see like the Civil War or slavery or the founding of the United States as these really distant things that don't really impact our world much today, or if they do, we've sort of grown past them. Hearing something like this forces me to rearrange some perspectives that I have on how I categorize the timeline in my head and admit that maybe the distant past isn't quite so distant after all. So a couple things about Johnny T. One is he was, at least by my account here, the first president to have the full coma. So this is one of those, like, you're going bald, but you don't want people to know you're going bald yet, so you think you can somehow hide it with the full comb over. So he had that going on. Second thing, uh, there's a quilt of him in the San Jose Museum of Quilt and Textiles, where for some reason they gave him red eyes. (laughs) So he kind of looks like a monster. Wasn't really like a, you know, he had enemies, I guess. Uh, You know, people didn't really uh, see eye to eye with uh, old John Tyler (laughs) too often. Jay, have you ever been so close to accomplishing something just to not? Like, for example, I'm a runner and have been one now, both competitively from time to time and recreationally for up to 20 to 25 miles per week for the better part of the last 15 years. Well, while I usually prefer longer distances, like a half marathon for my races, I do find myself running in at least a few 5Ks every year. And it makes sense, right? I mean, 5Ks are shorter. It's 3.1 miles. So more people like to do them, and so I get invited to run them somewhat often. Well, a few years ago, it dawned on me that I'd never won a 5K. Like, I'd been top five before, but never won. So I decided I was going to go nuts for once, just go all out, like run as fast as I possibly could, and actually try to win. So, dude, I was booking it out of the gates at this 5K. Okay, like a five-minute pace for the first mile. Just killing the field. Couldn't even see second place. Second mile, slowed down to like a seven-minute mile. So I'm still going really fast, but starting to to show some signs of weakness. Uh, But the third mile, okay, the third mile, Jay, completely fell apart. Ended up throwing up 
So I, I somehow still finished and finished in the top five, but was passed by four people after my huge lead. So, so close yet so far. How about you? <laughs> well, I've told this story on the podcast before, and I know you love it. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I already know where this is going. <laughs> it's uh, the time that I got second place uh, in our school-wide accelerated reader challenge, uh, but it was not a close second place. So I don't know if that fully answers your question. Um, essentially, Accelerated Reader was a program that uh, in it was really more used in the 2000s and in the 90s. You would read books in school, and you take tests on them, you get points, right? So schools would yeah. like gamify this. You'd get a pizza party, or you'd get like a certificate or something if you got like a certain amount of Accelerated Reader points. So I was always in second. Okay, always. Like I could never crack one. And it was always like it sounds like, oh man, he was so close, but I really wasn't because it would be like fifth place, three hundred and fifty points, you know, fourth like and then I would be second place with like three hundred and seventy. Like everything was super tight at the top. But then this one girl would always get first and she would have like 900 like it like wasn't even on the same planet what a nerdy thing i mean i I do feel your pain still i love when you tell that story but man what a nerdy thing uh meanwhile i was just taking the test without reading the books yeah but anyway (laughs) jay for mountain climbers like kirsty ennis their disappointments are happening for a very interesting reason in may 2023 so this year Ennis, like many people before her, set out to conquer one of those accomplishments that's so big that it's become part of pop culture, climbing Mount Everest. Everest, the 29,000-foot-plus legendary beast of a mountain, is one of those bucket list dreams for climbers. And most climbers who actually attempt it, like Ennis, are skilled enough to do it. When she attempted Everest, she had already scaled the other six highest summits, Climbers like her shoot for scaling all seven. So why didn't she make it? Well, while it's long been common knowledge among the climbing community, a viral photo from climber Nirmal Perhas in 2019 showcased it to the world. Everest has a line problem. Perhas's picture, Jay, was startling. You can look it up. It's really weird. Hundreds of people standing in line at the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> and with more people comes more problems, like a rise in deaths from climbing Everest. A rise that, according to The Guardian, is due to the crowded conditions atop the famous mountain. The deaths were not caused, though, by the queue itself, writes Amelia Gentleman at The Guardian, but a different problem. The rising number of inexperienced climbers who view Everest as the ultimate selfie destination and the proliferation of companies willing to take their money and let them have a go, regardless of their ability. There are people who call up and ask. Uh, They say, I've never climbed anything, but can I go with your company? And I need a discount. Greg Vernavage, Everest expedition leader with International Mountain Guides, told The Guardian, unfortunately, there is probably a company out there now that will take them. It's very easy to jump on your computer and dig around for the lowest common denominator. And in 2018, Jay, the Nepalese government issued 381 permits to climb Everest, a record at the time. Scaling Everest, too, is an important part of the Nepalese economy. And the cost of trying to scale it, well, they can vary wildly. The cheapest operations will offer to take you up for as little as $30,000, a price that includes the $11,000 permit. Or you can pay north of $200,000 if you want to stay at the best hotels in the Nepalese capital of Kathmandu 
and be taken by the most experienced guides. And Jay, a lot of folks, like Perha, who took the viral photo, have gone on record saying that the rise in lines may not go away anytime soon, with folks now returning to Everest after a COVID slowdown. And there's also this to think about. If you attempt to climb Everest, you're probably going to see some dead bodies. The conditions are usually so harsh that it's nearly impossible to bring bodies down off of the mountain after people pass away. Just let that sink in. So, Jay, will anything ever be done about this? And I'm telling you, look it up. The photo is just so crazy. You think of Everest as this lonely place atop a mountain. No, it's like going to the DMV. A nice revenue source for Nepal, the Everest experience has come back in record numbers since folks have returned after COVID. A record number of climbers attempted it in 2021. But the new reality is just this. For some, like Ennis, who I talked about at the beginning, seeing the top of Everest instead of scaling it may be where the dream remains because the numbers just aren't going to shrink. In 1963, only six people reached the top of Everest, Jay. Now... Nobody knows. It's impossible to count. Do you think you could climb it? Like, just right now, a guy's like, hey, here's a pack. Let's do this. <laughs> think you got, uh, think yeah. you could do it? I do think I do think I could. You've never <laughs> climbed anything in your life. <laughs> it can't be that hard if there's that yeah, huge see, line this of is why people there. die is because they think like this. <laughs> Dave, in the late 90s, there was a toy that was very popular that I know you're familiar with. And I know if anyone listening to this was alive in the late 90s, they are familiar with this toy. It was called the Furby. And um, we had one in our house. My sister had one. I didn't like it. I just never thought it was kind of weird and didn't really want it or to be around it, to be honest. Uh, but um, <laughs> did you ever own a Furby? Did you ever you know, have an experience with a Furby? So a friend of mine and I thought it would be funny. I, I never had one as a kid, but we thought it would be funny to buy one when we were a little bit older. So we bought one at, at like a discount toy store when we were 14 or 15 years old. Thought it was super funny for like a couple hours, and then it got so annoying that we actually threw it out an upstairs window to destroy it. Oh. Well, you know, I mean, so yeah, it had a violent end. <laughs> took a took a turn I didn't expect it to take. <laughs> well, uh, Dave, we're going to talk a little bit about the Furby uh, because uh, the Furby's back. I don't know if you've seen this, but you can buy a Furby today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of it, and then like, why is the Furby back? <laughs> so, Dave, it was 1998 when the first Furby hit store shelves. Created by Tiger Electronics and designed by David Hampton and Caleb Chung, the Furby was an animatronic furry creature with big eyes, pointy ears, and a playful personality. Its name was derived from the words fur and bee, meaning fur-covered robot. Now, Dave, at the time, what made the Furby unique was its interactivity. Equipped with sensors, the Furby could respond to touch, light, and sound. It could speak its own language, Furbish, which consisted of 800 phrases. But as you interacted with it, the Furby gradually learned English, kind of adding to its charm and appeal, I guess, theoretically. I thought it was weird, but, you know, to each his own. The Furby's popularity skyrocketed almost instantly. Children and adults alike were captivated by this adorable, chatty companion. But what truly set the Furby apart was its ability to evolve. Each Furby had a distinct personality influenced by how it was treated. If you were kind to your Furby, it would respond with affection. However, if you were negligent or mistreated the Furby like you and your friend did, it would result in a grumpy or mischievous (laughs) Furby. (laughs) 
This evolving personality sparked a sense of responsibility and attachment in owners. People would carry their Furby everywhere, treating it as kind of a pet in many ways. Now, the Furby became a gateway kind of in a way to the future of interactive toys, which are really popular today. And then, Dave, the Furby also became a cultural phenomenon. It appeared in numerous TV shows, movies, and even made its way into music videos. The Furby was more than a toy. It was a symbol of the 1990s and early 2000s. But as with any cultural phenomenon, the Furby also faced controversy. In 1999, reports began to circulate that the Furby might be capable of recording and repeating conversations, leading to concerns over privacy. This led to the banning of Furby toys from all government buildings, including very specifically the Pentagon. There were other myths, too, including the notion that it could somehow interfere with flight equipment and an urban legend that it was made with real animal fur. Now, obviously, as the years went on, the Furby waned in popularity, Dave. And if you thought the age of the Furby was over, as we mentioned at the top, well, think again. Toymaker Hasbro just this month announced that just in time for the product's 25th anniversary, the Furby is back, baby. In July, you'll be able to own your new Furby for 70 US dollars if you want to recapture some of that old nostalgia, Dave. And in case you're wondering, it does have new features, such as the ability to respond to pats and hugs. Hmm, interesting. Um, I do have some furbish here. Would you like to hear some furbish in case you, you Absolutely. happen to buy a furbish? Okay, so you can actually say these things. Uh, this was at least true in the 2005 version of, of the Furby. You could, you could learn furbish and tell it this, and it would know what you were saying. Uh, there's, uh, <laughs> there's Wita Kalulu, which is tell me a joke. Well, we there's, all know you, you're good at foreign languages. So uh, yeah, huh? a, oh, we do, yeah. I get an A in <laughs> Furbish as well. Uh, there's Wita Kawilu, tell me a story. And then there's uh, one that never worked. Una way lo ni way, go to sleep now. Because Furbies would not sleep. I remember in my town, there was like a weird rumor that got started that Furbies were like demonic in a way. Like, I don't <laughs> know how it started. I don't know if it was like a church. It's like the Salem out. Witch Trials. Yeah, and I think it was like a 90s thing. Like, it was any new cultural thing was demonic. You know, it was like, oh, that's demonic. <laughs> it was like anything that came out. Music, movies. It was like there was a connection to Satan somehow. Uh, and uh, for some reason, it was like a weird thing. Uh, I think it was kind of regional. I don't think that was going on across the country. But uh, definitely impacted the view of Furbies in quite a few homes uh, in my hometown. <laughs> we need to we need to somehow figure out who started that about the Furby. <laughs> like, I don't inter- know if it's like they thought person. it was like the devil's mouthpiece or something. Like, I don't know what the root <laughs> of it was, but uh, it was a strange time. It probably started because they just didn't want the kid to have one that uh, Right, bad. yeah. So they started Anything a rumor that took over the town. Yeah. It took over the town. Think about that. (laughs) And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trapp. We'll see you next week. We had to sign a waiver in third grade that we could watch the uh, Goosebumps movie, The Haunted Mask, and we had to have 100% participation. So if, if all the kids didn't return this, this uh, permission slip, we couldn't watch it. Only one kid did not return the permission slip. You're, <laughs> you're not mad to about him. it. <laughs> and you're talking to him. That's me. Wait, you? Why not? Because you were too scared? <laughs> I was too scared, yes. Yeah, so oh, I acted, well, like, my, acted like my parents wouldn't let me do it, though. They're like, oh, they wouldn't <laughs> sign it. I respect it, though. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's when I started to become who I am now <laughs> in that moment.